Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. This is your host, Jay Dub. This episode, we're going to deep dive into kind of the biggest free agency and trades of veteran players that impact fantasy football this year. I'm joined by Los Beans, Los Frijos Pintos, aka Tadlock. This is part two of a, of a recording we did at the height of the SIP number two. For those of you who don't know what SIP is, shelter in place number two. So we're hopeful there's football this year. Uh, and actually, it's probably this a good place to start. Don't get you slipping now. Hey. Don't get you slipping now. Hey. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Hey. Don't get you slipping now. Hey. Don't get you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Hey. This is America. Hey. Don't get you slipping now. Hey. Look how I'm living now. Welcome, Tyler, to the podcast. Well, hello. So uh, I teed it up right there. Is there football this fall? I was watching. I was watching a, a little video from our man uh, Ezekiel Elliott out of Dallas this week, uh, who had COVID and was talking about it. And you know, it was interesting to hear him talk. He sort of like it didn't really phase me physically. I was, you know, I felt like I was sick for a couple of days. He's like, but you got to consider the players and their families. He's like, a lot of players have young kids. A lot of players live with their families and have older folks. And he started talking about the coaches and he's like, I just don't see how, I just don't see how we make this work. And it was really interesting. At first, I think the honesty, normally you get players in these situations and they're so full of like media speak. They've all been media trained so hard that you very rarely get the truth. But he came out and questioned it in a way that I thought was really vulnerable, like was really insightful. And it's, you know, it's coming from a place of, of, and he did sign his big contract, but it's coming from a, it's coming from a place of, of care. And so I don't know, it's going to be interesting, right? You're sort of going to see this very interesting dynamic play out between people's health and, and sort of the importance of sports in our culture and entertainment and the financial aspects of it. Like the NFL is a huge business. And with all of the graphs moving in the way that they're moving, we sort of seem to have relaxed and it's biting us in the butt a little bit. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. If I were a betting person and you pushed me right now, I'd say that that we may not have football this year. I think we may be going a year without football. Yeah, I I actually think NFL is definitely playing, and I Good. think it's. I think there's two reasons. I think the the biggest factor is that they have such the owners in the league have such a stronghold on the players' association, and the tenure of these players is so short. They're going to want to make the money. And I think they have time on their side, right? They probably only need to play one preseason game. They're going to obviously be, the teams will be in a bubble in the preseason. And then I think there's so many players you can, it's, a, it's easy to test everybody on Saturday, Sunday morning. I actually did a, a pod that just dropped last week about this. I, I think what's going to happen is the games are going to be played, but you're going to see teams every Sunday have to automatically inactive five to 10 guys who test positive and they'll, then they're just going to have to expand the rosters and have a lot more. The NFL is going to have to have a lot more flexibility. I think fantasy leagues are going to have to kind of do similar things. There's even a report. I have some inside, inside knowledge in this one I heard from the NFL where they're recommending having the backup being sequestered, backup quarterback being sequestered. So you have ah. guaranteed one, one quality quarterback going into every weekend's game, knowing that there's going to be some issues with this. And so I think they're going to play because of those factors. They also have already released that they're working on a helmet, which will have like a built-in face mask. So you're, 
you'd be able to breathe, but you're not going to be putting germs out when you're tackling and like playing. So I, it'll be saw, interesting to see. I saw pictures of that and I saw a bunch of players on Twitter just basically laugh at that idea. Yeah. I, it'll, it's going to be interesting. Look, we're going to have to get creative. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And I think, look, they've got advantages too. They're very, they're conservative in nature. You've got the government, the federal government at that level, who's going to want sports back and really push hard for NFL to be back. I, I think that what I was going to say was I think NFL is back. I think college football is not back. I think that's that where there's too much liability. A lot of these schools are not going to have in-person um, instruction. So that's going to create ethical things like, do we bring our student athletes back just because there's a lot of money in it, but we don't going to have students on campus. I think it's, it's going to be ground zero in the SEC, quite frankly, in the South, because they're, they're starting to see their spikes. And I think come August, September, they're still going to be in the thick of it. And yet football is so core to the culture. So it's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so let's jump in. We're going to start with wide receivers here. We're just going to go down the list of some of the sort of biggest names, biggest changes. I'm going to kind of throw them out to you. I want your reaction and we can kind of bat it back a little bit. Um, we'll start off at wide receivers, go through running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends, and then do a little uh, summary with what do you think the biggest, most surprise move is, who do you think's uh, going to have the biggest impact, kind of the shock, if you will, or not, if it's a big name and everyone's expecting them to perform well, and then who's going to be the bust. So let's start off. The biggest move on the wide receivers front is DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona. This was a shocking trade. For those who don't recall or remember it, the other side of this was David Johnson running back, a former fantasy superstar going from Arizona to Houston. And then D-Hop, uh, Arizona also sent a second-round pick. It's a pretty shocking trade for a player that looks like their Hall of Fame-level quality talent in D-Hop. And David Johnson is a little bit overpaid, and maybe, maybe injuries may have kind of sapped him of what his skill was. So I'm curious, how does D-Hop fit in Arizona? Yeah, O'Brien strikes again. Yeah, I, I, you know, it'll be interesting. I think he, he's an interesting, an interesting compliment. What I really like about this move for Hopkins is that I, I like Kyler Murray. I'm a huge fan. I think he's a remarkably talented player. I love that Arizona has a terrible D and that they play that faster-paced offense. I think that's going to lead to a lot of reps, a lot of throws in particular. And I think that D-Hop is the clear number one there. I think Fitzgerald, I think Fitzgerald's the possession guy closer in the field. So I think a lot of the value from a reception perspective and from a depth of reception, depth of target, and from a points perspective goes uh, to DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, I think that they have, they've got sort of a good running game too, which means I think that there will be openings for him. The defenses aren't going to be able to key on him. They're going to have to play the the run too. I think they're going to be behind a lot. And I think that that's a recipe for success. I, I see DeAndre Hopkins continuing his trajectory as one of the top wide receivers in the league uh, without much question, frankly, going into Arizona. Interesting. That's a, a bet on Kyler Murray. Um, and I like it. I, you know, my take is that D hop is obviously a special talent. So I think he, he's not in my, in my rankings, he won't be top five. Like he's been the last couple of years. I think he's closer to kind of 15, but I, I like that take. And it's, it's a, it's a take on, on Murray's talent. I think Watson may be underrated though. He's pretty good. And, and that's a, it could be a big drop, but we'll see. Okay. Next one, which, and this is even a bigger head scratcher, quite frankly, is Brandon Cooks was traded by the Los Angeles Rams, still have a hard time saying that, to the Texans for a second round pick. So effectively, Houston traded D Hop 
for Brandon Cooks and David Johnson. And there's almost an equal swap in terms of salary. It's a really perplexing trade for, for Houston. But from fantasy standpoint, how does Brandon Foot, Cooks fit in? What do you think about this move for him? I don't know. I, it's interesting to think, right? I think he moves into the number one slot. He's there with Kenny Stills and Will Fuller on the outside. I think Cooks becomes Watson's number one. But they all those receivers are kind of cut from the same cloth. They're all burners, right? They're all kind of outside, take the top off the D uh, receivers, which I don't know. I don't know how that plays out in actuality. I think having that that makeup of receivers, as I think about this, and it'd be interesting to watch Fells from the tight end perspective there who kind of eats up everything underneath. But having those three kind of monochromatic re- uh, receivers – uh, for Watson, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge, huge fan uh, for what it's worth. Yeah, I agree with you on on all of that. Uh, next one, Stefan Diggs to Buffalo. So those of you who don't know, he was traded for a first-round pick and a few other picks, and I think Buffalo or the Vikings sent back like a fourth or fifth rounder. I Just right off the bat, I just have to say, Vikings, I think, completely raped the Bills on this trade. Not that Diggs isn't talented, but he was disgruntled and he wanted out midseason and he's good, but as he, up, I don't know if he's worth a, like kind of a mid first rounder. So, but how do you, what, what's your take on his fit in Buffalo? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I, I remember when Diggs came out, he wasn't all that heralded. In fact, I got him with a rookie pick for a surprisingly cost effective contract and then he blossomed and was sort of a great source of value. So it's been fun to see him. It's been fun to see him grow up and like, and blossom in the way that he has. He's 26. He's a great route runner. As I sort of, as I think about him going to Buffalo, and I agree with you, I think Minnesota got a, the better end of this deal by a good margin. But as I think about, as I think about him going into Buffalo, I think it's a great fit. I think that Buffalo offense is going to be really interesting with Allen as a running quarterback. They got the strong running back there. They've got a pretty decent wide receiver core. I think Diggs becomes the number one. But the question is, where is he going to get his receptions from? You know, they got they got Brown and Beasley, who I think each had a hundred receptions last year. Both of them are going to have to have their target share cut in half to get Diggs the hundred receptions that he's typically gotten to create the value that he's that he's had. I think Allen isn't super accurate deep, which I think poses some complexity to the Diggs value equation. And then you throw in the weather up in Buffalo, and it's it's going to be tricky, I think, for Diggs to live up to what he's done in the past, uh, especially with the in- the injuries that he benefited from in Minnesota. So, I, like, I like the deal for Minnesota. I like the idea of the Buffalo offense on paper, but it'll be sort of interesting to see how that plays out and how, how targets are distributed. And ultimately, I think it's probably a downgrade from a value perspective as you're thinking about Diggs as an asset in fantasy. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think I don't, as somebody who had John Brown the last couple of years, he had a breakout year last year at a thousand, I think his best year in yardage, he had almost 1,100 yards, over definitely over a thousand and a handful of touchdowns, but he was fed the ball and he was kind of out of place as a possession go-to third down player. And I think that's where Diggs will definitely get his targets is the the kind of cornerstone. I need to get this playoff. I think Brown probably drops quite a few targets and is more of the burner, deep outs, deep ends kind of kind of player. So Brown's definitely going to take a hit. I think, but I agree, Diggs definitely takes a hit too. He's not the same player that he was with Kirk Cousins in in Minnesota. Yeah. Let's move on. Emmanuel Sanders, longtime productive Denver receiver, had some incredible years with Peyton Manning when he was setting records there in, in, in Denver. 
finished out the year with the Niners last year and signed a, a pretty healthy two-year deal with New Orleans. How do you see this fitting? Is it, is it bad to say that I think he's probably over the hill? And I think there are too many mouths to feed in in New Orleans. That offense is high-powered, but you know, and everybody thinks about the passing game with Breeze, but that is a running O. They score a lot of points through the running game. So you think about Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is going to get his, right? They're not going to they're not going to rob Peter to pay Paul between Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. They've got Kamara, they've got Cook who's expected to have big things with the contract that they give him. It's hard and it's hard for me. I mean, I I like what Emmanuel Sanders did with the Niners, but it's hard for me to imagine really a lot of value here going forward. This is the classic player that I have no interest in this year. Exactly. Yeah. But he easily could have 900 uh, yards or a thousand yards and like six or seven touchdowns as the like number three guy there. And and you never see it. He never has like huge weeks, but he's just consistently getting 55 to 65 yards and a touchdown every other game. Cause that offense does it for whatever reason. There's, I remember Ted Ginn like resurrected his career in New Orleans as like the number, like what seemed like the number six receiver, but he was deep shots. I mean, 800 yards. I was like, what's going on here? There's always guys in New Orleans that just are somehow producing. And you're like, wait, that's not a primary guy. Why? I don't even want him on my team, but these, there's something about that offense. Emmanuel Sanders but, but is, like, is eventually gonna. Yeah, Emmanuel Sanders is the classic one that gets overbought in your work league by someone who recognizes the name and believes the hype and isn't paying attention to what's going on. So you're right; he'll never make it to me at a place where I would pick him up uh, in a traditional draft league or even from a salary cap perspective. I think even in our league. Yeah. But yes, yeah, someone will do it because it is New Orleans, it is Breeze, it is the name Emmanuel Sanders. But I think that that's a recipe for failure. Agreed. Next one is maybe the most perplexing of all. And and by the way, there's several others I didn't include here, but I sort of went by salary and looked at overall grades at a couple kind of national publications of all free agents. But this one was Robbie Anderson, who's had a lot of off the field troubles, signing a pretty healthy two-year contract with Carolina, who's got two really good young receivers who are uh, maturing, and they've got a kind of not past first quarterback which we'll talk about a little bit later in Teddy Bridgewater. So I, I, I was confused at this one. I don't even know how to think about it. Do you think Robbie Anderson has value? Like where would you put him in, in, in sort of your rankings? And when I saw this on the agenda, the first thing I thought was like, how much do you hate Adam Gase? Like that's really what popped into my head. And like, how much do you believe that Adam Gase is the reason and all the troubles in, in New Jersey led to it? It's, it is weird. You're right. It's a total head scratcher. So if you, if you believe that Adam Gase is the problem, and that Robbie Anderson was an underappreciated, underleveraged talent who was always seeming like ready to break out but never quite did, uh, then maybe there's something here. But you're right. He goes to a super crowded wide receiver core. There's so much talent there with Moore and Samuel. And then you think about you think about Robbie Anderson's traditional specialty, which is like go deep, go fast. And that's not Bridgewater's strength. He doesn't throw a great deep ball. So I like I don't I don't get this one either. I would I would steer clear of this. You know, maybe the one thing that they have going for them is that their defense is going to be bad. I'm drawing a blank on the linebacker who retired, Luke. Yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna be throwing a lot maybe, and maybe there's a little bit of something to hang your hat on there. But like, hard for me to see a, a picture of value here. I don't I don't get it either. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's flip over to running backs, and we're only gonna talk about three, but they're all three who have been kind of RB1, top three, top four overall running backs in the relatively recent past. And they all switched teams with a, with really no fanfare and, quite frankly, 
they're all kind of under underappreciated based on the national scale kind of right now. And that's, I'll, I'll list all three of them. We'll go one by one. But David Johnson to Houston, we mentioned earlier. Todd Gurley, which was the number one fantasy running back, maybe arguably the number one fantasy player in vast majority of leagues for two straight years, just very recently, two, two years ago. And then Melvin Gordon, who's been a spectacular college player and actually has been pretty spectacular in San Diego or AKA now LA. So they all change teams. We'll start with David Johnson to the Texans. What, what do you think about that? I mean, he, this is your player. I was going to say like, whole career. you know, this is one of those moments where the, the peculiarity of our league will shine through. I remember I had a rookie pick when he came out and I think it was the fourth or fifth rookie pick. And it was him. And you actually picked right before me that year. And you picked a core, you picked a running back that year. And I was like, I knew it was going to come down to those two in those slots. The picks ahead of us were pretty clear. I think I had the five pick and you had the four, maybe I had the six and you had the five. I don't remember. Do you remember who you picked? I don't, ah. but I remember David Johnson. I thought David Johnson was a late pick he, because he was like a third. I think it was the, maybe it was the six and I got him for 36 bucks instead of the $55 holdover. And it wound up being like this remarkable contract, right? Cause he came Who in. Who did I take? I can't remember. It was another running back in that class uh, and it didn't pan out. Like it was, I, I, and at the time yeah. it made it extra sweet for me because you're so, you're so good at this. And I traditionally have not been very good at this. It was one of the rare moments of victory of me over you in fantasy football. But I like, so I, I have a very soft spot for, for David Johnson in my heart. And yeah, it's a good spot in the sense it's a dynamic offense. You got a good quarterback. He's gonna, There's not a lot of competition. There. I think he's going to do well. Like I want to believe that he's going to have a resurgence and uh, that he's going to put up some numbers. He's a great receiver out of the backfield. I think that's going to play to Watson's strength, you know, plays break down. You get kind of that mess in the middle. That's really where David Johnson shines. He'll sort of break something off, follow Johnson as he peels out to the side, uh, catch something and then break a tackle and go. So, you know, I think maybe his top end speed has come down as he's gotten older and gotten a little bit of uh, a little bit of injury history on him. But but I'm optimistic. I think DJ can put up some numbers as he goes into into Houston. Okay, I'm with you there. I I, I want to believe as well. I I'm worried about the body. Yeah. Right, running backs wear down. So, which is like, a great, great segue. segue exactly. <laughs> Todd Gurley to the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, this guy is probably 24 years old, maybe 25. He's young. Uh, I actually had a colleague who was uh, pretty well connected to the uh, Georgia Bulldogs program and a booster, personally knew him and just said this guy was the hardest working, nicest guy. You want to root for him. So it's really sad to see how quickly he's fallen. I mean, he signed the biggest contract in running back history in the NFL and was cut two years later. So do you, how do you think he fits in? Yeah, I think in many respects, like running backs don't matter in, in the modern NFL. He's kind of the, the, the poster guy for that. I, you know, it's interesting. I picked up Brian Hill last year, partway through the year and got some good fantasy production out of him in a couple of games. He had a chance to win the starting role and didn't do it. And it's clear that he's not the answer long-term. So seeing Gurley go in there, you know, I think, I think he's going to be the, the, the option. Like he's going to be the guy. Uh, the question is, can he hold up? So if you believe that there's anything left in that knee, it is a big offense. Like, I love the receiving core there this year. I, I believe in Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan is due for an every other year up year. I think their defense always is a struggle, which means their offense is pushing. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm not a believer in Gurley. I tend to think that that knee is going to be a problem. He is not someone that I'm willing to take a bet on, but I can see how people would be willing to put some chips down on, I don't think he's your number one. Maybe he's your number two, 
maybe he's your number three, maybe he's sort of a value play, but I don't think I'm going to be making that bet where I think he is going to go again. I think he's another one of these players that name recognition is going to artificially inflate the perception of value, uh, especially in that offense. So I'm probably shying away and he's not going to wind up on teams that I hold. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be either it's feast or famine there. Uh, the one that bums me out a little bit is Melvin Gordon to the Broncos. Yeah. A lot of mouths to feed. You got Philip Lindsay who's looked great when he's healthy. You have Royce Freeman who looks good in the preseason and has looked fine. I, mean, I don't know if he's a star and, and or like a bell cow, but he's decent. And he signed for a two year deal, decent money, not huge, but for running back decent. Uh, what do you think about him? I, people hate Lindsay. I don't. I think Royce Freeman's underrated. This is such an example of like not understanding your market. I think the, the sort of the play that Gordon made in burning the bridge and, and leaving town, I think, you know, I wonder, I wonder what's going through his head. Like, I wonder how he's feeling about it. Hopefully he goes in with like a prove it mindset and makes the most of the opportunity that he gets there. But I, again, I think you look at, I'm most excited about Johnson, but there's the injury history. I think Gurley is problematic. And I think Gordon is probably the most problematic of all. Yeah, I kind of wish Gurley and Gordon switched teams where they went. Yeah, for sure. So, because I like Gordon as a healthy, still explosive player, but he's clearly not going to get the touches. So, okay, let's go to the position that's near and dear to all of our hearts. And again, if you're in a fantasy league and you only start one quarterback, petition now for Superflex. Look it up. It makes no sense not having two quarterbacks. It's the most valuable position. It's the position that touches the ball the most. And that's why we're going to talk about even a couple backups that are really intriguing here. Um, but let's start off, obviously, top of the uh, the docket here has got to be Tom Brady to Tampa Bay. What's your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's going to be really funny to see him in a different uniform. He is that franchise, right? And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Belichick and Brady breakup and who comes out on, on sort of the, the top end of that. That'll, be, that'll make it at least interesting to, to watch. I also love, I love the video where Brady was like blowing the horn and Gronk came running out of the woods and, and they're going to be back. But for all of like the entertainment value and the excitement, and, and even though I do believe in Arians and those receivers, I'm, I'm not as hyped on this situation as even Vegas is. I think Vegas has Brady and the Bucks is like, I don't know if they're favorites, but they're up there for Super Bowl contention this year. You know, the, there's a lot to like there, but I, I think, I think, I think Brady, what's Brady 43? He's two years younger than we are. He'll turn, he'll turn 43, I think in season he's 42 right now, but yeah, he's. And I think, I think Gronk is, I think Gronk is on the wrong side of this too. He lost all that weight. It'll be interesting to see what happens to him as he comes back. I mean, they're practicing. I saw a little clip today on ESPN that they're holding workouts. So they're, they're doing all the right stuff. And I believe in Arians. I think Arians is a great coach. So I look at that offense though, you know, if you think about Brady's connection with his running backs in the past, I don't see that there this year. That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky one. I think I'm less of a believer here than most people. I think, I think the clock is going to toll uh, and the age reaper is going to come for Mr. Brady this year. I agree. It's the biggest storyline without a doubt. There's not even a close second is how does he perform? How does uh, Bruce Arians has always been a great coach. I, I actually would, I tend to think Tampa Bay will be in the regular season more successful than the naysayers think because they have a talented team. Arians is a better coach than he gives credit for it. And Brady's going to maximize the value of these guys. I think that the 
the fantasy values of Godwin, Evans, Gronk, Howard, Brait, and the running backs there, I think they're all going to be a little bit depressed. There's just too many players. Brady's good at like getting the ball around to everybody. He's not going to rely on one player overall. But I, so I think there, but I think the question is the playoffs, right? Nothing really, Brady is Super Bowl or bust. And quite frankly, if he doesn't make the Super Bowl, you know, it'll be looked at like, well, you didn't go as far. Yeah. And then for the, you know, for the Pats, it's going to be like, are they competent and championship contenders without him or not? So that's going to, that's the best storyline by far. That's the thing that I probably, even, I'm not even a fan of either the teams or players, but I'll be watching that more than pretty much anything else. So I'm intrigued, but I agree. Uh, 43 is old and at some point you know the father times in a uh, is going to come how's their how's their o line i i honestly haven't I, i'm a little disconnected they, they used a first round pick i believe on an offensive lineman and i think they well i think one of their big their biggest free agent or i shouldn't say their biggest free i think they spent two of their top three picks on linemen i need to go look that up but I think it's okay. I, you know, at the end of the day, Brady, Brady's kind of just such a veteran. He gets the ball out quickly if the line's not there. Like, he's just so good about not taking hits if you watch him. So, and he's got security blanket there with Gronk. But okay, next one: Teddy Bridgewater to Carolina. This intrigues me so much because you've got a guy in Cam Newton who just turned thirty. He won an MVP for you four years ago. Your guy too. Took you to a, took you to a Super Bowl. He's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I have an affinity to him. I, I throw that out as a, from a caveat. I've had him his whole career in, in the fantasy team. But he's just a, he's always kind of been a winner. If you look back to high school, high, college, multiple stops, uh, he took a 1-15 in 15 Carolina team and made them immediately a contender. They didn't make the playoffs that first year, but they were competitive. And he's, he's been good. He's just, you know, his body's starting to break down. But Teddy Bridgewater, to me, is, is a big risk. So curious, what's your take on his impact? Where do you see him? Is he QB two, like complete back of the the rankings fodder? No, I, I like this, and and I'm a believer. I've always liked Teddy Bridgewater all the way back to the knee injury in Minnesota. I mean, I thought he performed really, really well in New Orleans when he had to. I think that they've got a great receiving core. I think they've got a great running back. I think they've got a weak D. And I always love the passing game on a team with a weak D because you're you're coming from behind and you got to sling the ball. You get it, you know, sort of an extra an extra emphasis on that on that part of the game. So I'm optimistic. Like I I like this. I like I think Teddy Bridgewater's sneaky value going into next year, assuming we have it next year. Yeah. Okay. It's good. I think there's a wide range of outcomes on this one, so I'll leave it. I'm concerned. I don't love all the changes. Rivera was a great coach. He consistently had them competitive, at least. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of ifs here, but you got to sometimes make changes, and so it'll be it'll be curious to see that. Okay, Philip Rivers to Indianapolis. This may be one of the most, and probably a lot of people don't even aware that this happened. This and the next thing I think are the things that are kind of under the radar, given everything going on in the world. This is a weird one, though. What's your take? I really like Frank Reich. I think that he is a. I think that he's going to get the most out of what he's got there. I like the receivers there. I agree, but it's it's a little muddy, and I I I, I tend to think that Rivers has seen his best days too. I make this association with Brady. So, despite the fact that I trust Frank Reich, despite the fact that I like some of the receiving talent there. I just, you know, they, they, they've got a really strong running game. Maybe they bank on that a little more like in a way that robs value from rivers. 
Um, Rivers had such rapport with his receivers, and there's going to be a big adjustment there. So, like, I'm I'm pretty down on Rivers, despite the fact that I think Reich is going to put together uh, a good offense, and I think that there's some receivers there. I think that Philip, I think that Mr. Rivers is done. Yeah, I agree with you, and I actually I like Jacoby Brissett, and he could be cheap uh, in leagues where you get to keep people longer because Rivers Rivers takes a lot of hits and. He's always been a, a warrior, though. He's definitely a guy I'm not getting in leagues. He feels like a mediocre quarterback, too, at best. So, okay, next one. And this is one that I, I don't think a lot of people are aware happened because it kind of was under the radar. And I think it happened on like day four or five of free agency. And quite frankly, it's not that big of a deal, which is Nick Foles was traded after one year of signing a huge free agency deal with Jacksonville to be their franchise guy. And shoot. For a fourth round pick. <laughs> Do you think Foles starts over Trubisky? I don't care. I just am glad that Gardner Minshew's getting the shot in Jacksonville. I love that guy. And I, I love him because he's such a character and that I got him on a great contract. So, you know, I I sorry to make the Foles thing about Minshew. I'm just excited for I'm excited no, for fun. that guy. He's a, great, he's a great name. So something about Foles going into Trubisky. I just it's hard for me to care about this. I know that I have to, right? To succeed in our league, you gotta know, you gotta know everybody in every place to find enough value to to make a market win but i don't know i'm just not a believer i think that that Foles had a couple of great runs in the playoffs but i just i don't know that he can put it together and i uh maybe he beats trubisky but does it really matter you're not going to get great production out of out of the chicago offense i don't think yeah i agree all of it move on to the next one Jameis, famous winston how many interceptions um, did he throw last year? 30-something? Yeah, I think he might become the first quarterback in the NFL history to throw 30, or definitely the first one to throw 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions. So he signed a couple million dollar one-year deal to play behind Drew Brees. And this is a weird one because they've got their kind of guy of the future there already, too. Taysom they already Hill. use him a lot. Uh, Taysom Hill. Yeah. So I really don't know what's going on here. Maybe this was like, let's pay him $6 million. It gives us a, a backup for Breeze if we need the sort of pocket guy. And then he signs with someone next year and we get a third round compensa- uh, compensation pick. So maybe they're just buying a third round pick and some protection. But it's a weird, it's a weird spot. And I, I've never been a fan of Jameis even in college. It, he's, he feels like an old – he feels like he doesn't have the decision-making – uh, that you would want from that position, and he's not mobile. So he's kind of the like Brady, but without the decision-making, or a Peyton Manning without the, the decision-making. So what's your take? Uh, look, I, I, I'll add another dimension in here. I struggle from a fantasy perspective because I have a hard time with the character issue, and I know that you don't necessarily – it's like kind of a – from a pure points perspective, but I'm, I'm not a huge Jameis fan as a person. I do think that this move was smart by him, and I, I sort of read a bunch when this happened – I think it's as good a given his circumstances and what he was facing. I think it was a great option for him. I think I think he's talented. I agree about the decision making. I think that you know there's a good chance that Breeze takes a hit. I don't believe that Taysom Hill is the long term answer. Like he's just not going to be 
the long-term guy there. So I think that it is, despite the fact that they gave him a big contract, like that to me was the biggest head scratcher in this little situation is why they gave him that contract. He's a gadget player in my mind. So I think Jameis is in a reasonably good situation. I think he goes in, I think he uh, learns the offense. I think he has a chance to win trust. I think Breeze either gets hurt and Breeze probably retires at the end of this year. And that means Breeze has like the inside angle to the starting quarterback in that, that position in that high powered offense. And if it doesn't work out, you know, maybe he gets some spot play, can demonstrate that he's still got he's still got something, and he can parlay into a starting gig someplace else coming out of this year. But I think, given what he was facing with what happened to him in Tampa Bay, and kind of the fact that Arians and that crew kind of strung him along until they were able to get the Brady thing done, uh, and he didn't have a ton of options left with the way the timing played out, I think that this is as good a spot for Jameis as it could be, and there could be some value here. That offense is just so. So strong. Uh, there's so many points in that offense. And I think Breeze is injury prone. And I think, especially in a league like ours, where there's, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's a, it's not a redraft league, right? If you can wind up getting, because there's some cloud around him, you can wind up getting Jameis on a decent contract and either DS him or put him on a three-year deal. I think there's, there's the potential for value here. Uh, character issue society probably won't wind up on my team, but I do think that there is, there's some stuff to like here. And I think it was a smart play for Jameis. Okay, I like it. Mariota, Marcus Mariota to Oakland as a backup to Derek Carr. This is a, a really interesting, and actually Jameis and Mariota were drafted 1-2 overall yeah. in the same draft. Uh, and and Mariota has actually statistically been fine. It's just that he doesn't produce points. Like he did, you know, he, he's good at not throwing interceptions and turning the ball over, but he eventually was usurped by Ryan Tannehill last year. So the question to you is, is this Ryan Tannehill 2.0? Like, does he, does he do the same thing that, that uh, Tannehill did to him? He does to Derek Carr. Yeah. I mean, I, who's got the bigger arm there? I actually, I, I don't know who's got this car have the bigger arm. Car's not known for throwing deep, is he? No, neither of, neither Marriott is kind of the classic top pick. You know, he's got the size, he's mobile. He's got an arm. You look at what Oakland did in the um, draft with the receivers, and it's almost you wonder whether or not they're just kind of puttering along until they can get their quarterback to match up with those receivers. So there may not be a long-term play here. This may be like a stopgap, just kind of maybe this is a maybe this is your your second quarterback if you get unlucky in a two-quarterback league. Maybe they wind up trading back and forth from a playing time perspective throughout the year. Chucky's a little fickle when it comes to his quarterbacks. So you never really know how that's going to play out. But I, yeah, the situation to avoid from my perspective on the whole. I think Mariota is the starter and the franchise guy. If you were to get Chucky drunk at a bar, not that you could right now, but if you could, there's just a way he talks about it. And he didn't, he, Carr's not his guy. He didn't draft yeah, him, that's he didn't develop him. But he he spoke very highly about Mariota. Really likes him, and this there's there's something that reeks here, especially since Mariota signed a couple year deal. I think it actually automatically escalates based on playing time. So there's, I'd be I'd be curious to talk to his agent on that one, which uh, I may see later this summer. So I'm I'm excited to to dig in on that one. But I, I like Mariota as a player in a new situation. I don't know if he'll ever be the guy we thought he would be, but. He's a guy I like as a prospect. 
three-year guy and a cheaper contract because no one's going to assume he's the starter. So he's going to go as a, as a backup kind of guy, no matter what, unless you're in a league with uh, diehard Oregon fans, of course. <laughs> um, okay. Tight ends. Gronk is back with Brady. So, you know, what, what to make of this? You got OJ Howard, who's one of the best tight end prospects to come along in, in like a decade, according to the, the you know, the scouts. Um, and he looked great in college and he's looked great at times. Uh, in fact, I think last, not last year, but the year before he had four touchdowns of 40 plus yards, which is unheard of for a tight end. So he's, he's got talent and, and Gronk is a, I mean, Gronk's a hall of famer first ballot question. I think he's only 31 took a year off. So he's still he's young. way more than 31 from a physical wear and tear perspective though. Yeah. So, so what's your take? I, I go for the cheap player in Howard and play for the long-term upside. I think that Gronk doesn't make it. I think that both Gronk and Brady break down. Call me a Pats hater if you want. I love the story. I love the narrative, but I just don't see it happening. And I think that that offense is good. So I, like, I, would, get, I would get the player in Howard, get the better contract value. That's where I would be making my bet in, uh, in, uh, uh, in this situation. I, I think Gronk is going to be undervalued, quite frankly. I, I, he's just such a beast. I think he's a guy that's going to score. He's going to average a, like probably a little bit more than a half a touchdown a week when he's playing so, and you know what he's on the field. And then he's always good for 50, 60. He's just such a mismatch. He's like six, seven. Brady loves his, Brady loves his tight ends. Right. So maybe, maybe, and you sort of look at the topology from a tight end perspective. Does, does Tampa Bay wind up with two top 10 tight ends? Well, in fairness, Howard's been kind of a bust and Cameron Braid is still. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. I forgot about Braid. So they're, they're really uh, stacked there. So, but anyhow, I think, Gron- I, I, I think Gronk's a lock to be a top five guy when he's playing. He suits up because of his skill, because of his comfort with Brady, um, his size. He's just a mismatch. So Eric Ebram, who's one of your guys, former first round pick, kind of been a bust until he got to Indy yep. and then kind of exploded out of nowhere two years ago. He signed a multi-year deal with Pittsburgh yeah. and Pittsburgh's always been good at using its tight end and is lacking, but Vance McDonald's kind of a the Vance dance stopped last year. Stopped yeah. on the Vance so, dance last year. So what's your take on Eric Ebram in Pittsburgh? Yeah, he catches touchdowns. Uh, depends. I think like the truth here depends on a lot of things in Pittsburgh about what's going to happen with Roethlisberger. Like what, like who's he going to be coming back off the elbow? Is he going to be able to do what he needs to do? Are they going to be able to move the offense? But if they get into the red zone, Ebron's a monster. I mean, he finally solved, he seemed to solve his drops issue when he got to Indy. Okay. Next one, Austin Hooper, Stanford boy. I had a couple of breakout season here in Atlanta last year and really actually had a good year the year before as well. Former second round pick. He goes to Cleveland on a pretty big deal. Four years guaranteed. I think most of it guaranteed at $11 million a year, so $44 million. Huge investment. Um, has anyone in Cleveland actually met their expectations in the last 20 years? And what do you feel about him? That, that, that situation has to turn around at some point, right? I've got totally drawn a blank right now. I've had, I've had just enough wine that I'm forgetting the quarterback's name in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, they made some big investments in their offensive line. So hopefully that gets Mayfield back to the point. He doesn't do well without time. I think that much we know now. So if they, if they get back to the point where they can give him a little more time, maybe there's value in the passing game there. You know, even if they don't, I guess you sort of compare it to the, the options on the outside. Maybe, maybe uh, Hooper benefits from like a young and developing offensive line in the early part of the year. 
I don't know. To be honest, I am guilty of not paying a ton of attention to Cleveland. It just hasn't worked out that way that I haven't had players there and I haven't done I haven't done the research to know, but I think I suffer from a lot of the the bias that people suffer about Cleveland and the offensive prospects, especially with how badly people have gotten burned there over the last couple of years. They have too many mouths to feed too. Okay, that's we're at the the final stretch here. What's what's your kind of biggest surprise move? Hopkins. Hopkins, okay. It's good. And what's your what do you think is a player or situation you think will have the biggest fantasy impact? You mean you're talking like on the field or from uh from Yeah, a just pure like stats. The guy the player that is you know, there's always going to be one of these players we talked about. Maybe we someone we didn't talk about is going to shock and be like a, um, you know, a top, you know, top three or four player at their position. And uh, I'm doing it. And I'm it doesn't have back. to be, by the way, a sh- doesn't have to be a shock either. It could just be someone who, like, it, it's talented and they just happen to be a star in their new spot. I'm going back to David Johnson at Houston. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it if for, if for nostalgia more than nothing else. Uh, He's a versatile, great receiver, uh, good runner. I, I hope that something turns out for him in, in Houston. Okay, and who's the biggest bust? Oof. I'm going to go with Brady. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put Brady there. I think that like hype relative to value, I think that that is going to be an underwhelming situation. Okay. So uh, mine real quick, I've got Brady and Gronk in Tampa Bay and definitely my biggest surprise move that shocked me on many levels. I, I just think I thought Brady would come to California if he were ever to leave New England, but I didn't know, I really don't understand why he left New England. I think it's, it's definitely a, a sustain on Bill Belichick in my humble opinion that they couldn't have figured that out. It's not like they had a backup plan, right? Yeah, like they're literally true. Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham. It doesn't make any sense. Um, the player I think will have the fantasy, biggest fantasy impact I'm going with is the biggest feast or famine player is Todd Gurley. Mm. He's in the best situation to get 300 touches and really high leverage touches um, in Atlanta where Matt Ryan, he's got good receivers around him. Like everything's there for him to have a good season, but it's all dependent on his health. And then a uh, bust is Melvin Gordon. And it's, it's solely because of the situation. Denver looks like it's going back to the eighties and they're going to run like a three headed running back monster with like subpar wide receivers, even, even though they went big on in receiver in the draft. I just, I'm not, I'm not sold on the quarterback there. I'm not sold on the whole situation. And even if Gordon is a star, which, which he has been in the past, I just don't think he's going to get enough touches. And so hard to argue with that. One. Yeah. yeah. So, well, Hey, Tylock, I really appreciate you joining us. A lot of good content. I think we we extended the 20 minutes that I normally try to target with these things, but a lot of good content. I really appreciate you joining. It's fun. Um, I can't wait to see how this thing plays out over the summer. I'm keeping my fingers crossed there's an NFL season, um, but thank you for the time. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Had fun. So again, if you enjoyed listening to what you heard here, uh, subscribe at uh, your favorite podcast directory, Fantasy Sports Collective or FS Collective. Uh, you can find it on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Shop, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so on. And in the meantime, have a great day. Stay safe, stay positive, and uh, take care. Bye-bye. Let me tell you a little something. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uh, I said, uptown.